Get ready for the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. Each week featuring a candid and raucous conversation with some of the most innovative, outspoken, and entrepreneurial business minds in the world today. This is the Very Visible Business Podcast, and here's David Averin. And welcome to the Very Visible Business Podcast. My name is David Averin. I'm uh, thrilled that you're here. And if you've had a chance to listen to some of the other podcasts as well, I have the great fortune of interviewing some phenomenal guests and friends. And if you look at the page here, whether you're on C-Suite Radio, whether you're on iTunes as well, you'll see some, uh, some familiar names, maybe some less familiar names. But part of my job is to bring to you some brilliant voices, some brilliant colleagues to share wisdom about business. How do we grow our businesses? Uh, what's the current thinking? What's happening in the world of disruption? And today is a real treat for me because I have my, my friend, my colleague, Shep Hyken, former president of the National Speakers Association, uh, unbelievable speaker with a really interesting background. We'll talk about that uh, as well. But quick introduction, and then we'll say hi to him officially. Some of you are listening, some of you are watching the video version of this podcast as well. But Shep Hyken is the Chief Amazement Officer at Shepherd Presentations, an award-winning keynote speaker, uh, New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. He's one of the leading experts in the field of customer service and experience. He works with companies who want to build loyal relationships with their customers and employees. That is brief it does not do justice to the, to the work that he, he has done. And I will tell you, in the 20 years or so that I've been involved with, the, um, with my speaker colleagues through the National Speaker Association and others, um, I have, I've watched other people not necessarily grow. I think I'm the one that's sort of grown in the industry, but I've watched people who are really at, at the peak of not only speaking as, as a craft, but in terms of content and professionalism, and I've probably watched 80 to 90% of the people start with passion, have a measure of success, maybe get some gigs, move on to a real job and sort of weed themselves out. But I've watched Shep uh, grow and, and the, there's just a class about him that I just so appreciate. He's, he, is, he is the pinnacle of the, even the category where I talk about customer experience, um, I bow in reverence to my colleague, Shep Hyken. So there is my fawning introduction. Shep, thanks and welcome to the Very Visible Business Podcast. Wow. Well, thank you very, very much for, for making your comments very visible. Wow. Yes. My mom is, I'm going to make sure she listens to this introduction and I'm going to actually record just the introduction and then I'm going to play it over and over for my wife and kids. Yeah, they get as, it. As, as they roll their eyes and go, yeah, whatever, dad. Okay, whatever. Hey, you, you said something. I just want to make a comment. You said, you know, people, you, you know, watch people at the peak of their careers. I love being at the peak of my career this year. And next year, I hope I set another peak. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, and I think that's part of it is we never should settle for what we're doing now is uh, somebody once said, uh, recently, I heard him say it. He says, you don't want to be good. You want to be better. You're constantly trying yep. to get better. So it's not a destination. Good is a destination. The peak is a destination. Constantly try to just get better. Well, I've loved watching you, um, the content grow and, and mature. And it's not just because you've gotten smarter. We, we all get smarter. But I think, I think your, your material, and I want to talk, before I talk about your history and how you grew up, but we'll do that a little bit later, um, I think is some of the most relevant actionable content that's being delivered today, whether it, it's on stage, um, through your books, maybe um, some people know um, the cult of the customer, the amazement re revolution, um, 
And his newest book, um, there's other books in there as well, but the newest book, The Convenience Revolution, um, I think is so current. It's so relevant and so actionable. There's a lot of people who have sort of timeless wisdom. Yours isn't timeless wisdom. I think it's very, very timely. Well, thank and, you. And yeah, you know what's interesting? If you go back 10 years, it's just as timely. And hopefully 10 years from now, it'll still be timely. Right. Uh, it, because it, people, when they read something, and whether it's my books or anybody else's books, your books, or they hear something from you, where they are in their careers, where they are with their businesses, at that moment, it needs to be timely. Right. So, but you're well, right. I mean, I looked at something that's happening right now. And, and while the convenience revolution has been going on for literally uh, almost you know, a century at this point, actually, many, if you go back to the origination of the first convenience store of all time was 500 something AD, when Justinian the Great declared at every major intersection, I guess where the chariots <laughs> crossover right. over during the Justinian Empire, the Byzantine Empire, excuse me. Uh, he said, there will be a store, his exact words, uh, according to Wikipedia anyway, is there will be a store that sells life's necessities for the convenience of the citizens. <laughs> the Renaissance man. That's how as... back my far my research goes. But but really, today, you look at the best companies in the world and who you love doing business with and who the disruptors are. Right. And it's not that they've come out with a revolutionary product. It's that they've come out with a better way to deliver that product, a better experience for the customer. And that's a convenient experience. Well, absolutely. Well, so talk to me about, um, you know, I talk about some of this as well. I, I, I have, I'm always careful as I look at who are the giants of, of our industry and making sure that what I'm doing is relevant and differentiated in some way. But I've watched you make a really successful, um, I wouldn't even call it a shift, and almost an enhancement of sort of the traditional mindset of customer service, um, not being simplistic, but customer service to this shift towards customer experience. Others have, have merely just relabeled what they've done. You have a really in-depth knowledge and perspective and message on what that experience needs to look like today and how it differs from yesteryear. Tell us a little bit more about that. Sure, well, I mean, when I started out many, many years ago, I started out talking about general customer service, the uh, interaction that employees have with their customers and then also what happens internally for your internal customers as well. But what's interesting about all of this is as this concept of experience came about, for the longest time, customer experience was just another word for customer service. Right. They just put the, the label on, on their yeah. old stuff and say, it's like marketing people say, now I'm a branding expert right. with no new content. It's just mm -hmm. something new. And by the way, service and experience is part of marketing and branding. It all kind of- Of course, absolutely. It's all, of our, all part of our delivery system. But where did that mind shift happen? And, and what are some of the key elements that really typify the experience over mere service? Sure. And, and what happened is uh, smart companies started recognizing that experience is bigger than just the interaction between two people. Sure. It can be, and by the way, I say two people, it could be the interaction you might have with a website, you know, which is experience. But keep in mind, the website was built by a person to be used by a person. So it's kind of people doing business with people just in a digital way. But right. then, you know, like Steve Jobs and Apple, you get the box that you're, you know, back then, uh, what was the little, it was just a music machine. Uh, right, the iPod. The iPod, yeah. Yeah. It's like, wow, just the box is crazy cool. And, and then, I mean, that's just part of the experience. And then as you journey map 
uh, a typical customer's experience, many of the interactions they have are with people, but some aren't. Now, how did I transition into that? Call it dumb luck, if you will, but what happens is I read a ferocious amount of material every single day, every single week. Uh, I just wrote a, an article that'll come out by the end of the year that's about uh, the top 10 customers or top 10 business books to read, some of which are customer service and experience. Uh, and I, I realized this year I probably read about 40 books and I dozens of others I looked at. And I don't know why people send me books every single day I receive books in the mail. And I love the gift. Don't please, people who send books, don't stop sending them. Because I look at them and if you catch my interest, I read the book from cover to cover. I promote it. And anyway, I read these books. I read five to 10 articles a day um, because we have Google alerts that uh, you know will pop up all yep. these different articles. Absolutely. And that just makes you smarter. And that's you know, it. That's I, I, was, I was talking to, to Joe Calloway a little bit earlier, mutual friend, another brilliant author. I love Joe. Another as well. Is I was telling him that, that the first time I saw him, um, I was at a National Speaker Association meeting 20 years ago, sat in the consultants meeting for the consultants group. And he talked about that his job is to be the most informed person in the room, whether he's sitting on an advisory board or whatever. And he talked about reading like 20 newspapers a day, which sort of dates it that we were reading newspapers. But, but content is so prolific. It's so um, available that there's almost no excuse to not be up on what's happening, what's different. Um, what, has been your, um, what has been your greatest learning in terms of, of the expectations of that experience? One of the things I talked about is sort of that significant change over the last 11 years since, since the iPhone came out, right? Our, 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 our um, expectation in terms of expediency and immediacy and, and being able to customize the things and buy what we want when we want, whether we're yelling at Alexa across the room to buy whatever, how much different is it today compared to what you would have even seen 20 years ago? Because I, I think that the message is needed now. I don't know that how relevant it would have been 20 years ago. So let's, uh, I'm going to share something. Somebody said, what's changed in customer service or experience in the last 10 years? I said, well, I'm going to tell you nothing has changed. As a matter of fact, you can go back 50 years. Nothing has changed. A customer comes to you with a question or a problem they want it resolved to their satisfaction. Ideally, when they're done with the interaction, they go away happy. That has not changed. What's happened is from the moment that customer has that problem to the moment they walk away happy. In the middle, now, that has changed. And that's just the method in which we approach and communicate and connect with and interact with our customers. And that goes for everything uh, which used to be traditionally walking into somewhere for service or picking up the phone and calling someone to being able to email, to, to use social channels like Twitter and Facebook and Messenger uh, and to go on a website and be able to take control of it and do it myself. You know, there's some great videos or some great how-to uh, answers on certain websites where I know I don't have to waste my time on hold. I just go straight to the website, type right. in my question, boom, I get it. And so the method in which we deliver the information that's going to make a customer happy, that has actually changed. But at the end of the day, really nothing has changed as far as what you want the outcome to be. Right. But let me ask you this. Don't you think that much of the change in terms of that, that, that process in between of how it's delivered, don't you think a lot of that is driven by this, the expectations of the consumer? 
Um, well, the expectations change, yeah, and they, but they change for two reasons. The biggest reason, and I every year I will make my number one prediction every year for the last I don't know how many years is your customers smarter than last year, okay? Right. And and the reason is is because great companies are teaching them what great service and experience is. I mean, Amazon teaches us like instant gratification practically. As soon right. as we place the order, boom, an email shows up. Your order has been placed. A few hours later, your order has been shipped. You know, here's the tracking information. By the way, next day, your order has been received. I know, I just got it six seconds ago. Right. They've but didn't, didn't we used to, I was saying, didn't we used to compare it against other competitors? Now we just compare it against the experience against the best in the industries. Right. And that's my, like so many times my opening line in my speech today is that we're no longer compared to the direct competitor. We are compared to the best service. And that could be a company like Amazon, or it could be their favorite restaurant where the service is so friendly, or the guy that just sold us a $25 pair of running shoes. He was so knowledgeable and helpful and he found these shoes that were half price. Why can't everybody be as good as this one? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was, you know, and, and of course this is worldwide. Two weeks ago, I was in Dubai sitting in the back of an Uber um, with a colleague that I was with. And he asked me that specific question. He says, how do you think Amazon, I mean, he wasn't talking Alibaba or whatever else. And, and he says, how do you think Amazon has changed? And I said, well, the easy answer, of course, is just that, that there's an expectation that we can get what we want. But I think the real impact has been we gauge all of our experiences, but well, if they can do it that fast, then you should as right. well. Yep. And They're so, training us. Yeah. And it's really driven. My kids, they don't harken back to a different time. You know, this has always been their world. They, you know, we were young. We would, you know, if we couldn't, didn't want to spell a word, we'd say, mom, how do you spell whatever? And what would she say? Look it up in the dictionary. Look it up in the dictionary. <laughs> exactly right. And I do it with audiences and they, they, you know, parrot that back. But the reality is now they just, they, they ask Alexa. They don't have to go to uh, the library. They don't, and the By whole, the way, every time you mention her name, she is mine as well. My background. Mine, mine's right there as well. And every time the commercials do that. But see, here's the other thing. I mean, Alexa is a perfect example is that the expectation of immediate answers. She can translate a word. She can set a timer. She can do all those things. I have seven Alexis around my house. I mean, literally anybody who has a question, it's in every room. Um, <clears throat> I, do a lot, I do a lot of work with hotel and hospitality. I just got back with Cancun. Within a year or two, there's gonna be a personal device in every single room yeah. because that's gonna be part of the expectation of how do we get what we want? How do we ask a question? It's, it's crazy in terms of how, because, because I, I would submit that I think so much is driven because there is this expectation um, in terms of instant answers gratification, access. And um, I think customers are, are, I mean, the companies are, are waking up to this more and more every day. So you mentioned your kids and, and I think some of this is really relevant. When you first ordered a pizza to be delivered, my guess is you were probably in college, maybe probably you, high school or college, high sure. school or college. And what did you do? You picked up the phone and you called. Right. Well, and who did you call? Domino's. I remember getting my first Domino's pizza. I loved it. I, and, and by the way, I started eating a Domino's. It started, oh, this is a treat once a week. And it started when I was in college. It turned into right. once a night. And yeah. you don't, <laughs> you should have seen what I looked like at the end of that semester. <laughs> anyway, I love Domino's. Well, today there's at least 10 different ways you can order the pizza right. other than picking up the telephone. And here's what's cool. My generation, your generation, 
we're used to picking up the phone and that's totally fine. We may even want to pick up the phone because, you know, even though we use all these other tools, oftentimes because our entire lives, we picked up the phone. It's like, what's the phone number for Domino's? So right. ordering a pizza, pick up the phone. Then there's this next generation. It's a millennial generation. It's a generation X, Y, whatever. These people, they did pick up the phone and they also were more emerged in technology than we were. So they're willing to pick up the phone, but they'd rather use another way. And that's what's happening today. Then there's a new generation coming right on the heels of the millennials. I believe they're calling it Generation Z, maybe. Right. Uh, but uh, that generation just doesn't pick up the phone, period. Right. You know, so. Right. Uh, yeah, this, this is my 15-year-old son. But, but I, it's going to another level, isn't it? It's right. not just that they want to do a different way. Their expectation year over year is that not only can they do it online, but now they can do it with one click. Now they can do it by just saying it to Alexa or Google or anybody right. else. And, and, <clears throat> and they're used to it. It's what they grew up with. Um, I mean, we still think, I still think my cell phone's really cool. My mobile phone. I mean, it's really crazy cool. Right. And my kid says, it's just a mobile phone. I go, yeah, but you don't understand. Right. <laughs> you know? And you're right. You're right. They don't. Mm -hmm. They don't. We, they don't know the panic of trying to find a quarter because we had to make a phone call or trying to find a pay phone or something else. I mean, there was a time, you know, you look at you and I, we travel pretty extensively and it wasn't even until probably three years ago that they finally took out the final pay phones from the airport. You know, I, and, know. And I was in Las Vegas last year for a conference and there was a pay phone there and I took a picture and I Instagrammed it. What's this? <laughs> And, right. and, and then I was in, uh, uh, you, you dropped Dubai, so I'll drop where I was last week. I was in Cuba. And, nice. Uh, little geographic name dropping for our, for our audiences there. Right. And there was a, an old pay phone there that, by the way, is being used on a regular basis. Sure. And then next to it, the phone man was working on, a, I guess it might have been the building. And I opened up, I had to take a picture. I've never seen so many wires in my entire life. This is what it looked like in the 50s. Right. It's right. So, yeah, it's amazing. But, but but talk about our, our our expectations and how how those are changing and how you're helping companies equip themselves from a mindset perspective, from uh, an internal process and delivery mm -hmm. perspective. How are you helping them make that shift for those who are on the cusp to the ones who not only will get it, but will be well prepared two years from now, three years from now, with how people want to buy. Right. So let's, let's go through a six step process. I, I call them six simple steps. And this is what every company has to do to get customer focused. Uh, number, and I'll go through them really, really quick. No, you're you fine. Listen, our, listen our, audience, our audience loves uh, meat and potatoes. Give us some. Right. So here's some good meat then. Number one, and, and by the way, what we're trying to do is we recognize even if we're good at it already, in order to sustain it, it needs to be part of your culture. And even if it's part of your culture already, I hopefully will share with you something today that says, you know, that's a little piece we need to add in. So first and foremost, leadership has to define what the customer experience vision is, customer service, customer experience. And right. that is, in my mind, it needs to be short, quick, and to the point. One sentence is as long as it gets because everybody can remember one sentence. And my favorite is the Ritz-Carlton's credo. I call them mantras. Mantras are less, sometimes they're just a few words, but the, the sure. credo of the Ritz is we're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. So you yeah. go to work there, you know what it's about. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to be trained to do. And whether you're working in the back office as an auditor or you're working on the front line, uh, 
you know, at the front desk or you're a housekeeper, you'll be trained differently, but you'll understand what this means. Number two, and again, I can elaborate on many of these. Sure. Uh, it just, just to you, like our company, uh, it's three words, always be amazing. And we are always amazing to our employees, to our clients, and we teach our clients for them to be amazing to their clients or, and customers or whatever they want to call them. So uh, that's, that's a quick little, by the way, I have a favorite one, one of my favorites, not my favorite, because the, the Ritz Carlton is truly my favorite, but one of my most fun ones to share is the, uh, there's a company called uh, Symbiosis in Nashville, Tennessee. I hope I got the name, pronunciation of their name right. I love theirs. It basically goes like this. We love our customers so much that when we kiss them, their lips bleed. <laughs> that's awesome. And that, you know, when you it's have a statement there. like that, yeah. people, and by the way, it's not a theme. It's not something that goes away after a year. It goes right next to your vision and values. So it's yep. gotta, you've got to work hard to come up with this. I mean, it could change after a number of years, but you don't want to get into this theme of the month kind of thing. So once you've defined it, now you have to communicate it. That's step two. And the way you do that is, you know, typical communication. It, it's everywhere. Uh, your, your leadership shares. And by the way, I don't care if you're a company of one, two, or three people. If you're one person, then this is for you. If you're a company that has tens of thousands of employees, great. Difference, by the way, between tens of thousands and, you know, 10 is that it's easier to, to change, change a culture of 10 than it is to change a culture of right. you know, thousands. If not, you know, one guy said to me, how long is this going to take? I have 35,000 employees. I said, four to six years. When do you want to sign the contract? And yeah. he smiled and he did. Anyway, <laughs> that's another story. So number one, the, the short, sweet vision. Number two. Number two, make sure everybody knows it. It's everywhere. It's seen. It's constantly reinforced. Number three, you train and you train everybody. Even people that aren't on the front line dealing directly with customers, they need yep. to understand their role and they're just trained differently. Somebody who's on the front line may get true customer service or sales training or communication training. Somebody in the warehouse gets a different type of training, but they do need to be trained to understand. Uh, well, but, and, and before you go on, I'm going to stop on that one for a second because mm -hmm. I, I, I agree. I think that it's so important and especially everybody understanding what, cog they are in in the wheel of how to make this happen and and we saw this i saw this years ago with a lot of colleagues of ours who talked about um employee um engagement and mm -hmm. how do you make people feel important and and that here's your role and what we do but i think it's so much more so now i mean you look at like your primary bank branch right is your phone yep Right, so you can talk all you want about engaging people, knowing them by name, looking them in the eye. It has nothing to do with when you're dealing with technology. Well, right. the technology people, and the delivery people, and the HR people who are bringing in the right people. Everybody has to be indoctrinated. Is probably the wrong word, but trained to understand. Right, Here's what it's we're a philosophy. For. It's not Absolutely. a department. And everybody has a role. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm all in on that one. I think very, very important. Well, think about this. Years ago, a book, actually, and I read an article in the early 1980s, back when I had hair, that said, uh, Jan Carlson wrote about the moment of truth. Whenever a customer comes into contact right. with any aspect of a business, they form an impression. Now, he ran an airline, so he's talking about passengers as his customers, and most of the interaction is done people to people. But then he would go into a, an airplane hangar, and every city they had a presence, and he'd preach this moments of truth concept, and he said, Hey, you guys over in the baggage handling department, 
you're really important. If I, I live in St. Louis and if I'm coming to visit you in Colorado and I check my bag, I see it go down that conveyor belt. I land in Denver, what, two and a half hours later and there's my bag. 20 people probably touched my bag. None of them saw me, none of them interacted with me, but yep. if one of them had made a mistake, I'm gonna have that moment of misery at the end of the trip when my bag doesn't show up. So these people, they need to understand they have an incredible impact on the customer's experience, even if they never ever see or talk to a customer. Yep, agree fully. So number three is train, number four? Yep. Number four is that leadership needs to actually be the role model. A manager, a leader, they need to dedicate themselves to making sure that they are the showcase. And you know, our friend Mark Sanborn says, when it comes to great service leadership, you, know, you, don't, need, you don't need a title to be a leader. Uh, when it comes to great service. You want to be that person that everybody says, wow, I really like what they're doing. I'm going to try to do more of that. But let's talk about a leader. I love to use Walt Disney as an example. As he walks through the th or walked through the theme park back when he was alive, people would say, oh, there's Mr. Disney. You know, wow, that's Walt Disney. That's And people were amazed at this man. And as he walked through the park, he knew everybody was watching, especially his employees who they called cast members. Right. And he saw a piece of paper on the ground and he reached down, he picked it up and he threw it away. And later on, he explained, he called that stooping to excellence. He said, if you walk by that paper, he gave permission for everyone else to walk by it. But by stooping down, picking it up and throwing away it away, he role modeled what he expected everybody to do. He called it stooping to excellence. And I call that number four, be the role model. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's so important. You can't treat people or showcase one way and expect them to treat somebody the other way. Well, and I think even to another level, I think not only is it, is it modeling the kinds of behavior, we know that as parents, it's the same thing. You can't tell your kids, you know, teaching them to drive when you're doing the things that you're telling them not to do. But I think it's also looking for opportunities to showcase that. I mean, isn't it? I mean, there's the whole MBWA was that management Actually, by, walking by walking around, around. right? By walking around. around. Yep. But I think it's more than that. It's, 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 I think some of the best leaders are looking for opportunities to be present, to be visible, manifesting the things that they talk about. And it's not an inadvertent, let's see if we can, oh, somebody happened <laughs> to notice that. I like them creating scenarios where yep. they're going to be there. They're doing a grand opening. That person is there. That person is, is the one who is, you see this with Marcus Lemonis, right? On, on the, the prophet mm, and he'll yep. roll up his sleeves and, and he, he gets into it all. Yeah, absolutely. I, I read an article a um, couple of days ago that at an elementary school in Texas or somewhere else, the, there was a woman who was the principal of the school. Their, um, their janitor, their, uh, whatever, whatever the, the, engineer. The, there you go. The politically correct term um, had been out for a couple of days. She'd had an illness and she'd been working at the school <clears throat> and the, um, the principal put on rubber gloves and was, was washing toilets and cleaning toilets saying <clears throat> needed to be done. I'm not too good for this. That visibility among her team that says yep. I'm willing to do what you're willing to do. I think is so powerful. Yep. And so that's being the role model and it Got is it. extremely powerful. Uh, number five, is uh, you defend the culture. You defend what you're trying to achieve. And that means if you see a person, a group of people, a department, if it's a larger company, it could be a whole region or you know some type of subsidiary. If they're out of alignment with what you are wanting to achieve with that customer service vision we talked about, number one, yep. they need to be brought back in. I once asked an executive CEO what his most important job was, major company, and he says, I defend the culture. 
we created it. I mean, there's lots of deals that are made. He's got people sure. that are smart that run the numbers, but you know, he defends the culture, which is pretty cool. Do you think that that, in some cases, and, and I think of examples of, of organizations where the culture is, is palpable. <clears throat> it permeates the organization, the Disney's, um, Chick-fil-A is yeah. one of those as well. And I know there's some controversy um, about Chick-fil-A, but, but how it manifests itself on the store level. There is a, there's a bar. We, we go through the, the drive-through and my kids are like, they're so nice. And I'm like, they are nice. Even in the drive-through, they're, they're so nice. nice. It's amazing. Yeah. They yeah. hire for nice. They train for nice. And I think it becomes, in many cases, I think it becomes a catalyst for conformity in that it's so clear where the culture is that those who fall outside are either brought back in by the, the cultural norms, by the masses within the organ, or they're, or they're kicked out. Right. Right. And so they have to just, be. It's not just leadership. They're, one of my favorite examples, um, I should show this. I should show a clip or something. Do you remember in the movie Big? Um, I love Big. When, I love Big too. When Tom Hanks is, becomes the older version, he goes and gets a job and he sits down next to John Lovitz the actor, right? And he's <laughs> working away and typing away and John Levis goes, hey, hey shh, slow it down, slow it down, right? Because it's gonna make the rest of us look bad. <laughs> that, that culture, it's right, forcing, forcing mediocrity upon people. Right, right, it's like don't, because then all of the rest of us have to raise our game as well. Um, I think that defending the culture, I think in, is, is a wonderful example and best manifest when it's defended by the rank and file. Right. So I have a friend of mine, I just interviewed him for a show that I do, and he has a rock star culture. He wins workplace awards every single year. And I said, so what's the secret? I mean, do I want to be hired by you? I mean, is it that cool? He goes, first of all, we're an elite group of people, not elite uh, from the standpoint of money. No, but we're elite within what we do. He says, I get the best people, the hardest working, the ones that are most dedicated. I go, well, how do you do that? He says, well, I pay them well, but I create an environment that they want to come to work. And by the way, it's seven o'clock at night when you walk through our offices, a lot of people are still there. Why? Because they don't, it's not about what time do I get off work? It's like, when do I get my, my obligation finished? That's what I'm most proud of. But he said something and it's like the Navy SEAL uh, type of, uh, thinking. He said, people are motivated sometimes by not letting their team members down more yep. than they are than their personal motivation. So yep. we, we see that a lot in, in sports, yep. youth sports as well, especially team sports. And that was one of the, some of the lessons for those, and we're both fathers as well, but as, as my kids play competitive sports, and that was my greatest lesson for them um, was when you're sick, when you're not feeling well, you can't let them down. Right. And this isn't an individual sport. It's not showing up. You show up, you, you've let them down. And I, and I think, how do you, how do you in, in the teaching that you do, through your speaking and consulting, how do you help them inculcate that mindset within an organization? Sure. And by the way, number five being defending the culture, right. this is one of the keys to doing it, is that you have to keep it in front of them all the time. You have to constantly reinforce. Training isn't something you did, it's something you do, it's ongoing. And that doesn't mean you have to take people out for a half a day every two weeks. No, you could say, you know what, we put you through some basic training. We spent a, a good amount of time on customer service slash experience training. Now what we're going to do is we're going to reinforce it five minutes, seven minutes, every week or two weeks, we're going to make yep. it a part of our weekly meeting. All you need to do is constantly remind them. So uh, once it's set and it's moving in the right direction and it's, everybody seems to be get, going in alignment, 
don't take it for granted constantly, you know, be pushing it, reinforcing it, showcasing examples. Here's an exercise that we suggest our clients do. It's the number one culture changing exercise. And it's this, take an index card. I'm looking around, I have, a, a, there's some across the desk there. And just simply write down an example of when you've created a positive experience for either an outside customer or a colleague that you work with. In other words, I'm asking you, when are you being nice to the people? Sure. <laughs> it's pretty simple. And it could be as simple as I returned a phone call quickly, they were impressed. Okay, I could do something above and beyond. Oh my gosh, there was a catastrophe in the middle of the night. I got a phone call. I rushed into the office. I took care of it. That's the above and beyond and right. everything in between. And we ask that our employees do this once a week. And that seems like a lot, but a lot of it is going to be shared because uh, the manager will say, oh, here's a great example from David this week. Here's another one from Shep. So three or four get shared and you run through your, your group if you're in a department and everybody contributes, but the manager will always pat the employee on the back, you know, figuratively, if you will. Sure. Um, don't want to get into HR issues here, yeah, but, but just let them know, hey, this is a good one. And they'll, they'll praise them or they'll say, oh, this is awesome. Do you mind if I share it? Or, hey, I have another idea that could make this even better the next time. And sure. it's constant reinforcement that they're doing the right thing. Do you find that with that exercise, when they create that expectation of this once a week check-in, that they're not only looking for examples because they know they're going to get called on to share it, but looking for opportunities to do something more so that they have something to talk about. So what happens is if you ask people to do this and you tell them it's due next Friday at noon, right. many of them will wait till five minutes before 12 o'clock to do it. And by the way, it takes three minutes to do, but when you, ha when you got, okay, now what did I do this week? Now that's brain pain. What'll happen is they'll start to say on Tuesday, oh, this is a great example. I'm going to write this one down. And they take two minutes and they do it. Now they're done with the exactly. exercise. But what's happened is we've just made them aware. Service awareness is where yep. it begins. And, and I think that's a huge part of it. So well, the other um, thing is, is when you get other people who are sharing great examples, they don't want to have lame examples as my kids are. Here's, right. here's the analogy that, that I draw. And, and I, you and I were both very intentional parents. I've got one kid still left at home and my daughters are off. Um, Intentionally? <clears throat> but, um, yes, they are. <laughs> I, got, I got a daughter who's producing in, in Hollywood. I got one wow. in college. And, um, but yeah, couldn't be more proud. But I remember, and I, and I learned this from a, um, I don't know, a psychologist friend or something some years back. Maybe it was something I read. Would you ask your kids, you know, what we, we normally ask them, say, how was your day? Fine. What'd you do? Nothing, right? You get those one word answers. But to change the question, which was, what was your favorite thing that happened yep. in school today? And they would come back and for the first, you know, a couple of days, or I don't know, I recess or I don't know, whatever. They got to the point where they knew they were going to be asked the question. So they started looking for things and changing right. their mindset, looking for the positive thing. They didn't say, tell me about you. Tell me the best thing that happened today. And they can focus on one thing. I think it's, there's such a great parallel to what you're talking about is not only are they looking for things to talk about, they jot them down, but I think looking for opportunities to do something so they have something good to share and doing it in a public forum, as you talked about, you almost shames those who have really bad examples. Really, it, that's it, it, makes, it, it raises the bar for everyone. I love it. Yep. I love yep. it. Okay. Do we know what was our number six? Number okay. six is real simple. When it's working, celebrate, you know, let people know they've done a great job and you don't have to have a crazy wild party, but you need to let people know. And celebration might be, well, my friend Ron, who I interviewed, his idea of celebration is if they hit a certain level, 
the entire company goes on a trip to Cancun. Not just the department, the entire right. company. Not just the winners, but everybody. Not, yeah, not just the, everybody's a winner. And I love that concept where, you know, the, you know, the rising tide floats all boats, not just yeah. the department that made it happen. Because right. everybody has a piece of it. So uh, you, you, you define it, you communicate it, you train to it, uh, you role model it, you defend it, and then you celebrate it. Love it. Tell me, Shep, how are you working with companies today? If somebody wanted to get in touch with you um, and wanted to work with you, in what capacity are you offering your service? Sure. There are several different ways that companies work with us, clients work with us. Number one, they hire me as a speaker, which is what you and I have been doing for years and years. Sure. Number two, I have trainers that now go out and have been for a number of years delivering my content in a deeper dive format. They'll do multi-day, we'll we'll put together you know, two and three year projects with clients. Uh, and then the third kind of probably most exciting way is I think it's the future, it's online. How can we scale uh, what we do? I, I call it, it's like Shep on demand. I'm with you 24 seven if you've got an internet connection and I've got multiple courses and now we're translating them into other languages so that some of our international clients can, can uh, you know, take advantage of it. So it's pretty exciting. Plus, you know, we, we all write our books and our articles and that's part of my work too. Outstanding. Okay. Here's the lightning round. Okay. I always do with my, <clears throat> some having to do with work, some not quick questions, quick answers. Um, what was your first stage performance? First stage performance, 12 years old. I'm a birthday party magician in front of six year old children, 20 of them screaming loud parents in the back. How long you, how Hardest long audience you, I ever had. How long did you, uh, first of all, did you get paid for that? I did. I made a whopping $16. I'll never forget $15 plus a dollar tip. Outstanding. And then how long, because I know that was the early part. We didn't talk about that much was, was your performance at least experience as a young person was with magic, wasn't it? Yeah. And I uh, worked <clears throat> in my first nightclub at age 14, comedy and magic uh, at the Playboy club when I was 16 years old, which is the most unbelievable job for a 16-year-old hormone-raging young boy had to have been a, a beyond a thrill for you. It was, it was, it was, anyway, I've never heard it referred to as hormone-raging. Uh, that's interesting. But no, did, I worked in nightclubs through high school and college. And when I got out of college, not sure what I was going to do, I saw a couple of motivational speakers, Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins. And I said, yeah. you know what? I can do that. And there's a whole background as to how I, I didn't even realize how much I love customer service till I started reading books, thinking, wow, this is what my parents taught me. Uh, you know, they told me to write a thank you note after I did that birthday party. They told me to call and say thank you. They told me to ask for feedback. Uh, and then there were moments where, it, which was like, I can remember, um, you know, an elderly woman pulling up to a gas station I worked at when I was in high school. And she, it was a very, very cold day. And I went out and I pumped her gas for her. And my manager yelled at me because he said, we're a self-service station. You don't do that. Now she's going to expect that every time. I go, well, maybe she'll come back every time instead of the station across the street in Caddy Corner. I mean, I didn't know it was called customer service. I knew it was the right thing to do. Sure. So, so that's kind of how I got into this thing. Anyway, that's, that's a long answer to the lightning round question. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great answer. I know you play the, uh, play the guitar yes. as well. Do you a couple have, of them where, in the background. Where do you have an opportunity to, to scratch that itch to, uh, to perform? I actually uh, am proud to say I play with Eric Clapton and the Allman Brothers on YouTube yeah, I was every night when I go home. <laughs> and Carlos Santana. I love Santana. Oh, he Santa. and I are like this. 
I'm the guy over here on the far left. <laughs> Love it. What is your must-have do you take with you when you travel? Uh, wow, a toothbrush? <laughs> the must-have must have on the road. Oh, must-have. You know, there's, there's, I actually, uh, I've got to have my computer. I got to stay connected. Absolutely good. Um, 10 years from now, what are you going to do? Keep morphing, keep growing, doing something different? Well, I, I hope I'm growing. Um, you know, my goal is if you look at 10 years from now, I pretty much do what I want to do. I, I feel retirement is doing what you love to do. And if you think about that, I've been retired since my 20s. Now, there is a certain amount of minutia, paperwork, things like that. If I could just get rid of that, and hopefully I'll figure out how to do that in earlier than 10 years, then, you know, life is grand. Um, I want to create a saleable company, which means my training side of what I do is something yeah. that's able to be sold. And I just want to keep talking and writing until I become that little old man on the stage that's cute. I don't want to be that cute old man. I want to be the guy that's still dynamic and, and relevant. You don't want to be the one who says, bless his heart. He's still at it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, listen, I, I love following you on, listen, not only we've been friends for a long time, but I love following you on social media and, and I'm all about the family stuff. So tell me, tell me uh, your proudest dad moment. Wow. I'm going to tell you, there's so many of them. Uh, let me, I've got to, I wish I could tell you something about all three of my kids. So I will real quick. Recently, my 25 year old daughter who is now doing management work for Mumford and Sons in the, in the, in the uh, entertainment industry. She's one of the managers that does special projects. I realized my 25 year old is making decisions that impact other people's lives. Holy moly. Uh, my youngest daughter at age 23, um, she comes out of college and how she's connecting and getting jobs and being, getting people interested, it blows my mind. She's mini me in that way. My son, who's currently 28, I'll never forget when we were, he was much, much younger, might've been, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old. We went to a hockey game. We always went early. We stood at the glass. We hoped a hockey player would throw a puck over and he'd catch it. And that would be a souvenir for the day. And one day someone threw it over and he caught it. And he looked at a little kid next to him. And he says, here, this is for you. And he There's gave it away. Dad. And I thought, well, yeah, why did you do that? He said, dad, I got one last game. He didn't get one. And I, you know, how cool is that? So yeah. all three of my kids are absolutely amazing. Isn't that the best? The best of the best. The newest book is The Convenience Revolution. My guest is Shep Hyken. For those of you watching, those of you listening, um, I appreciate you doing so. Be sure to subscribe. Hit the button below. I'm on C-Suite Radio. This is on iTunes, wherever. Check out some of the other people that we've interviewed. Some great conversations, some brilliant minds, some great people as well. And that's part of the, uh, the criteria. Big thanks. Uh, if they're looking to get a hold of you, what's the website? Hyken.com. H-Y-K-E-N. Hyken.com. Big thanks to my guest, Shep Hyken. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for tuning in. Tune in again, and we'll talk to you next time on the Very Visible Business Podcast. For past and future episodes, be sure to subscribe at theveryvisiblebusiness.com. You can also learn more about David Averin's keynote speaking and consulting at visibilityinternational.com. Connect with us on social media and check out David Averin's latest book, Visibility Marketing at amazon.com. This has been the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.